Um, so happy birthday to us. Oh, is it our podcast birthday? It is. Oh my gosh. Is this what, how long ago was it? One year ago? Yeah. It's just over one year ago. Um, I published, I hit publish on our first episode on July 4th, 2017. That's so so funny. We're a little bit late for celebrating ourselves, but yeah, I'm really excited. We've kept it going. We did. (laughs) I'm impressed. As, As Yeah, I know. As much as I want to have like confidence in myself that like, yeah, this is something that we can do for a long time. Mm-hmm. There was always that like little part of me that was like, oh, but what if we get tired of it? Right. And we didn't. Nope. We have, we have been diligent in like planning fun enough topics. I think that it kind of makes us look forward to it anyway, you know? Yeah. 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 So I, uh, sort of celebrated by getting a new windscreen for my microphone. Oh, fun. Yeah, it's one that fits over the microphone uh, instead of sitting in front of it. Yeah, which that's makes what mine me is. Really, really happy because boy, you know how hard it is to try and get that pop filter oh, <laughs> to yeah. fit on the blue It's Yetis. always either just like in the wrong spot or it's like stabbing me in the chest or something. Yeah, it's it's rough. Yeah, but this one is kind of like a little sock for my microphone. Ah, sometimes I like putting a little sock over me ghostly tail. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> I tried to explain that joke to Michael the other day, and he did not think it was funny. And I'm just convinced <laughs> SpongeBob jokes aren't funny for people unless they, like, know SpongeBob. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. One of our One of the mixers at the bakery said... I need it. <laughs> just like that. And I was the only like, yeah. one that picked up on it. Hey, good. There's someone here that understands. Yeah. So, uh, shall we celebrate by recording a completely unremarkable episode? Yes. Yes, we should. <laughs> Maybe if we had some foresight, well, we do have lots of foresight, but um, if we had considered that it was our our birthday, we would have, uh, well, I don't know, looking back, would you have changed the topic of the episode if you were anticipating the birthday? Um, I mean, I don't know, what would have been like special to do in the first place? I don't know, maybe like talking about another hip hop artist or... Oh, yeah, that would have been nice. Um, I mean, we have... Without giving away the spoilers, we have um, a couple episodes coming up that are kind of really big that Mm -hmm. we're putting a lot of time and energy into. I think that would have been a a really good one. But no, instead today we're going to talk about comedy. Yeah, sketch comedy (laughs) to be specific. Yeah, sketch comedy. And what what made you want to talk about this? I... Mostly wanted to end up talking about Vine because I oh love my Vine. Gosh. You and I both, yeah, we've had we've had this discussion. Vine was too young to die. It was, it was too young, but at the same time, I can't help but wonder if maybe it it died at the right time before it got really bad. 
Because Possibly. I feel like that's, that's just kind of the trend of things. Yeah. It just go bad. <laughs> yeah, especially things on the internet. Like, it's really good for a little while, and then it just becomes a trash can. Yeah, it's too bad. Uh, so, I mean, that's part of it. But also, so just looking at, like, some of my favorite TV shows, and especially ones that I am okay with, like, rewatching, even after they've been off the air for several years. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them have a root in sketch comedy. So I will get to those near the end, but we're going to follow our format and start instead at the beginning of sketch comedy. A brief history, if you will. A brief history of sketch comedy. Uh, for a lot of people, I feel like sketch comedy just kind of sits in the background as like a <laughs> genre of TV show. Um, kind of like, Saturday Night Live or the Chappelle show where it's like every once in a while you'll get a sketch that is like hilariously funny and you know everybody has seen it I'm looking at you David S. Pumpkins <laughs> I still don't understand why people are in love with that wait sketch. who was that what, what, what was that from what show was that one from that was from Saturday Night Live I don't Tom remember Hanks that. played yeah it was it was a sketch where there was like a haunted house and there was this couple on an elevator and they would stop at different floors and like every third floor had this character called David S. Pumpkins <laughs> and it was played by Tom Hanks and he was basically just like a weirdo, not even a creepy weirdo, just a weirdo wearing like a festive Halloween suit. Yeah. Like... An actual tailored suit, but it just had a pumpkin print on it. <laughs> okay, all right. Just kind of a really kind of random thing. Yeah, like if you Google it, you can kind of see a picture of like how absurd it is. Uh, David S. Pumpkin. Oh, apparently S stands for Simon. What? <laughs> I don't like that at all. He looks really young for some uh, reason. Yeah, that's particularly weird because the sketch came out in 2016, so... Doesn't... Uh, he looks weirdly, like, his hair looks so, like, young and alive. The curly Tom Hanks I used to know. Yeah, yeah. So, for most people, that's kind of, like, what sketch comedy is. But it actually is one of the oldest forms of like modern entertainment that's around today mm -hmm. because when we think about entertainment and like the history of entertainment obviously going back to the episodes that we just did like long form poetry and um, epics were a thing for thousands and thousands of years right but um i don't know even though i couldn't find any sort of evidence of like comedic sketches being done before Shakespeare's plays I have a really hard time believing that that never happened oh yeah it has to have had I mean even if it was just super informal and unrecorded like people were definitely doing that before right then. yeah and I just like I seems think natural to want to in the first place right yeah and I I just kind of think of like family reunions and girls camp experiences yeah like yeah where, like, nobody's writing down the scripts to these sketches that we're doing, but no. 
for some reason, everybody knows the lines to uh-huh. a lot of them. Or, you know, people want to exercise their creativity and come up with a script all on their own. And so, but you're yeah, right. like, we did that at our family reunion, too. We'd have these skits that we do every year. And no one really knows where they started or why the tradition started. But we do it every year. Every it's, single year. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, families are going to be families no matter what time period, I think. So <laughs> it has to have happened at some point. Right. And like I said, like, it definitely had to have happened before Shakespeare's plays. Mm-hmm. Like, just kind of to warm up the audiences, you know? Sure. I will I will go out and buy a hat and eat it, because I don't think I have a hat to eat for that <laughs> proverbial. <laughs> I will eat my hat if it didn't happen. I, I can lend you one. Okay, thanks. I mean, you're not getting it back. Right, that's... I wouldn't <laughs> want it back. <laughs> no, you really wouldn't. <laughs> So I don't believe the sketch comedy started with vaudeville, but this is kind of where we Mm. can start talking about the history of sketch comedy is through vaudeville. So vaudeville was primarily popular in the U.S. and Canada in the 1800s and was performed usually by traveling troops of entertainers that did a variety of things such as acrobatics, magic tricks, live music, and of course, short humorous skits. They were basically smaller versions of traveling circuses, which, on the one hand, like, that's kind of cool, but on the other hand, I kind of had that sort of pessimistic thought of, like, oh, it's well, a- why didn't I just go to the circus then? Yeah, yeah. That seems understandable. Yeah. But there were also theater shows that started up later on in England, Though, as the new century broke, there was a distinct separation in both England and the United States between the raunchy blue-collar worker humor and (laughs) the humor of the upper class. Ah, the upper class. (laughs) Yes, because there used to be a saying that if you could perform well in, I think it was like Illinois, then you can perform well anywhere. Oh. Because, you know, the... (laughs) The country bumpkin, you know, boony yeah. <laughs> inhabitants of Illinois, if they could appreciate what you were doing, then, then anybody could. Which, I mean, I kind of find that whatever. Yeah, you know. <laughs> it's it's rude. But. It reminds me of um, 30 Rock, that episode where they travel to the middle of nowhere to try to find, like, a, actually, ironically enough, a member for their sketch comedy. Um, and they go out in the middle of nowhere and these people that don't live near big cities are just totally stigmatized to just be like raunchy and I don't know. Right. right. And you know, it's probably not true now, not necessarily, but I mean, back then there were definitely, you know, there were definitely people that had a different sense of humor around the country. A lot of it has to do with the accessibility of education and you know, how that affects the way that people perceive humor. Right. But eventually, you know, rich people got a hold of it and they ruined it. <laughs> as, as rich people rich, are wont to do. Rich people are wont to do. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, in, in England and in mostly like the northeastern part of the United States, there were theater shows that started up. Oh. And the humor of the upper class was basically supposed to be very family friendly and therefore considered tasteful 
And this idea was later dismantled by a rather popular group of English gentlemen, which I will get to in a moment. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Yeah, I know. Intrigue. Yeah, it's not too hard to guess. And also, <laughs> we're going to get there in like five minutes. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> the format actually started to die down a little bit in the 1930s. But in 1948, the Ed Sullivan show kind of revived it for television. Mm -hmm. Now, this was still a true variety show where there would be a mixture of musical guests, interviews, and sketches. And it's more the predecessor of late night shows such as like The Late Show and The Late Late Show and The Tonight Show. And trust me, as I was putting this list together, I was like, ah, dang, like Carmen... Like, you could do, if this were your episode, you could do a quiz giving me the titles of some of these shows and yeah. then also make some up. The, oh, and have you wouldn't me even know. The Twilight which ones Show. were real, and I just, like, I, I couldn't do it. The late like, Night Talk. The Late Night Talk Show. Late Night Talk, talk Show, show Late Night. Who's the uh, host? Um, because, of course, that is the uh, other kind of hallmark of these right. late night shows is that, you know, you have to have a recognizable host. Right. Recognizable host is, oh, who's super current right now? Jane Smith. <laughs> Jane Smith's not that current. That's the first thing that came to mind. I'm showing my age. No. I would watch Jane that, though. <laughs> Jane Smith Who? with the late night, the late night talk show. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, he's got to be kind of like a middle-aged to older white Yeah, dude. but a really charming one. Like, you mm -hmm. know, still kind of hip. Mm -hmm. I'd I'd love John Oliver to do it, but he's probably busy with his own show. Well, he's he's doing his weekly uh, talk That's show. That's true. He's not on HBO. Yeah, last week tonight, which is I think the perfect satirical title for. Oh my gosh! Yeah, a late night talk show. But yeah, I mean between Jimmy Kimmel, yeah. Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy's. By the way, I've never once gotten those two mixed up. Oh, no, ever no. Ever before. Definitely not. They're not the same person at no. all. Uh, Conan O'Brien, Stephen Colbert. I choose I've, Conan. I do pretty good, I think, with the hosts. But if you were to ask me to pair up the name of the host with the oh, name yeah. of the show. like <laughs> You have a 50% chance of getting it if you say Jimmy, though. So there's that. That's true. That's true. I like my odds here. I like my odds. <laughs> So this is where sketch comedy kind of starts to develop in a way. While the late night variety show has obviously stuck around ever since, the half hour sketch comedy show did start to develop from there. And it's kind of hard to pin down what the first true sketch comedy show was, but a good place to start would be either a show called Not Only But Also, and that is not only, and then like an ellipses, but uh -huh. also. But also. And I can't seem to find a whole lot about it online. Huh. But the one thing that I can find a lot of online is Monty Python's Flying Circus. Oh, of course, Monty Python. <laughs> the, <laughs> the group of English gentlemen that tried to dismantle the idea of tasteful comedy. Yeah, uh, the only Monty Pythons I've ever been familiar with are the Holy Grail movies, um, but I know that they're a pretty big deal for that, like, silly, that silly comedy. I don't even want to call it lowbrow, because it's not quite lowbrow, but it's kind of almost, like, slapstick. Not slapstick, uh -huh. but, like, I don't know. 
Maybe it's just well, too British for me. British humor is hard for me sometimes. You know, <laughs> I can get that. I can definitely get that. And part of it is that it it does have quite a variety of different humors. Because looking at some of their more famous sketches, such as the Ministry of Silly Walks, and even if you haven't watched it, then I can absolutely guarantee that you have seen like oh, yeah. a silhouette of John Cleese doing his silly walk. I actually have stickers of that on my water bottle. <laughs> I'm sure you do, Audrey. <laughs> <laughs> and and that is more slapstick comedy. Yeah. It's very physical, and the humor behind it is that he tries to play a very straight man while doing this very silly thing. So while the sketch of the Ministry of Silly Walks relies on a lot of slapstick comedy, I think a lot of their strongest sketches come from the ones where the dialogue is written and delivered extremely well. Mm-hmm. There's a sketch called confuse a cat where a couple calls in a vet because their cat just hasn't moved for so long it's the vet dear oh, very glad indeed you could come round sir not at all now what seems to be the problem you can tell me i'm a vet you know see tell him dear well it's our cat he doesn't do anything he just sits out all there on the lawn is he dead Oh, no. Thank God for that. For one ghastly moment, I thought I was too late. And he kind of does, like, this almost William Shatner thing, but it's, like, so exaggerated. And she's just like, okay, okay. Yeah. And (laughs) there's one called Big Game Hunter, where it starts off with, one of the comedy troupe members dressed up like a big game hunter. And he says, I've been hunting all my life. I love animals. That's why I kill them. Oh my God. <laughs> it's so <laughs> silly. Yeah. I love it so much. There's another sketch. And this is the last one I'm going to talk about. You're fine. Um, but <laughs> it's one where John Cleese is teaching the rest of the Uh, members of Monty Python, how to defend themselves against assaults by fruit. Right, now, self-defense. Tonight I shall be tearing up from where I got to last week when I was showing you how to defend yourself against anyone who attacks you armed with a piece of fresh fruit. You promised you wouldn't do fruit this week. What do you mean? Well, we've done fresh fruit for the last nine weeks. What's wrong with fruit? You think you know it already? Can't we do something else for a change? Like someone who attacks you with a pointed stick. Pointed sticks? <laughs> so if somebody assaults you with a raspberry, oh my. he teaches you how to defend yourself against that. I need to know this information. That happens pretty consistently. <laughs> I know, right? And one of the uh, students, of course, ridiculously asks, well, what if somebody comes at us with a pointed stick? <laughs> A pointed stick. <laughs> a pointed stick. <laughs> it's, so it's a lot of deliveries like that. Yeah, and, just really you know, random. I'm not. I'm not super good at the deliveries, but it's still really great that I think it's Michael Palin says that pointed stick, <laughs> and he just he enunciates it so distinctly. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's really great. 
I'm going to have to check this out. Yeah, I will definitely for sure link to um, all of these videos in our show notes. Excellent. Yes. Please do. Uh, I, I kind of mentioned that they tried to bring down sort of the idea of tasteful comedy in England. And mm-hmm. I mean, I could be wrong. It could be that like there had always been you know, quote, distasteful comedy that was popular. Right. I don't know. I wasn't alive in England in oh, the 1940s. Come on, Help us <laughs> I know. I know. I I am weak and I have failings and faults. You were born at the wrong and time. that is one of them. Yeah, that's one of them. But they have a, a sketch that I think is kind of really important to that called the chemist sketch. And it starts out with John Cleese walking out of the back room of a pharmacy. And he's got like this arm full of medicines. Right, I've got some of your prescriptions here. Uh, who's got the pops? <laughs> Come on, who's got the pops? <laughs> Come on. Come. <laughs> who's got a boil on the bum? <laughs> Who's got the chest rash? Have to get a bigger bottle. Who's got... uh, Who's got wind? Catch. The BBC would like to apologise for the poor quality of the writing in that sketch. It is not BBC policy to get easy laughs with words like bum, knickers, botty or wee-wees. The sketch then has to start over and over and over again as banned words and innuendos are used uh-huh. until the sketch has become more about sketches <laughs> themselves, and it just so kind of meta. morphs. Yeah, it morphs into something else, and this kind of goes into the other thing that they did really well besides absurdism, which is satire. Uh-huh. You know, and and a lot of people look at it and they think that all of Monty Python is satire. And that's just not true. Like, there is a, I don't know, maybe 20 second sketch that they did that I absolutely love that is pure slapstick. Uh Where two men are just kind of doing this weird little dance on this dock and they're slapping each other with fish. And... (laughs) Sometimes that just hits the spot. Why? Well, I, I mean, so if I'm funny. in a particularly goofy, silly mood, um, Larry, Curly, and Mo will just, you know, do it for me. Oh, yeah, sure. It's so funny. It's, it just, it makes me crack up every single time. And that's obviously not satire. That's just straight up slapstick. Yeah. You know, but um, things like... Again, the chemist sketch is really good satire. You know, it's poking fun at the, like, you know, BBC sensibilities. Yeah. Can't, like, what can we get away with, you know? Right. Um, on the not-quite-so-meta side, uh, there's a sketch that was actually written by Douglas Adams, which is mm. kind of a fun little bit of trivia for yeah. you there, where a doctor has patients that are getting stabbed or shot by his nurse. <laughs> 
Oh my. It's clear the whole thing is commentary on how silly the healthcare system can be at times. Right. Because while the man who was just stabbed by the nurse is sitting in a chair in the doctor's office bleeding out, like he's holding his abdomen and he's just like, there's blood everywhere. And he says, I've been stabbed. I need help. The doctor forces him to fill out paperwork before he can be treated. Yeah. (laughs) And while the patient is filling out paperwork, the very clearly dispassionate doctor stands up and starts practicing his golf swing. Oh my gosh. And here's the kicker. While you'd think that the patient would be upset by this, no. It turns out he feels guilty for bleeding on the doctor's white rug. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. he starts trying to clean up the blood. My gosh. And, like, while this clearly wouldn't really happen in real life. It's just an over-exaggeration of, yeah, what, of like the what silliness does of it happen. All. Yeah. yeah. Like the parallels just hit a little too close to home. So you laugh, but at the same time there's a part of you in the background. Oh my. That's like, like, oh no. This is uncomfortable. <laughs> so like you can't consider that absurdism. Right. I mean it is obviously absurd, but it is definitely, definitely satire. Yeah. They, uh, really quickly, I do want to mention that they did a few things that kind of became an industry standard. Um, the, the concept of, you know, extreme satire being one of them. But the concept of recurring characters, hmm. um, it wasn't exactly new. Again, we're talking about kind of a, a history that doesn't exactly have a set beginning. Mm-hmm. But they pulled it off in a way that was... Very kind of masterful, I would say. (laughs) And as painful as it is that the phrase, nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition has become so overused in popular culture. Like, if you go back and you watch some of the sketches where they pop in and start torturing the other characters, it's really easy to see why it became so popular. Oh, yeah. It is so funny. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just... The costumes are ridiculous. The, like, high nasally voices that they use (laughs) is really funny. And then, of course, their torturing is not exactly effective. Right. They they threaten an old lady at one point with sitting in a comfy chair. Oh, man. And they start poking at her with a soft Hello. And they're trying to get all of this information out of her. And it's just, for some reason, it's just not effective. You're right. <laughs> so Flying Circus lasted for five years, which I think is a pretty good run. And they also had five movies, which I'm not going to go into because then it would just turn into a Monty Python episode. And that's not what we're here for. Right. <laughs> but they are... It's an interesting history. Like, I think that if you have, I don't know, seven minutes of time, you can easily just, like, look up the history of how a lot of them were produced and why a lot of them were written, because a couple of them were actually just written out of spite. Really? (laughs) And, yeah. And also, a couple of them had to get funding from, like, really famous people. Oh, how come? Because, yeah, like, studios just wouldn't fund them. Which is so weird, right? Like, you look at them and you're like, wouldn't studios be, like, dying to fund these movies? I don't know. Maybe back then they just didn't want to affiliate themselves with, you know, 
like just kind of nasty types of comedy like that. At least one's done out of spite, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Because they're silly. They're silly. They're so silly. At the time, there were a few other shows that came out. And I mean, when I say at the time, I mean over the course of the next few decades. <laughs> there were a few that came out. I think a couple of the more notable ones are a bit of Fry and Lori. Mm-hmm. And that is Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie. They were actually known as like a really successful comedic duo before yeah, you know, either of them our generation either. knows them. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so many people look at, especially Hugh Laurie. Oh, yeah. And they think of House, you know, and they're like, oh, he's so good in his role as, you know, this really hyper-intelligent jerk. Yeah, and he does still kind of have that quality of, like, comedy about him, but you just wouldn't really expect, like, oh, Stan, like, sketch Mm -hmm. comedy? Like, yeah. Yeah, I know. And then, obviously, Stephen Fry, like, he kind of does his own thing. He has... right generally bit parts in a lot of movies and he shoot i don't know if he still hosts it but he uh hosted a quiz show oh my um, called qi everyone has to go uh, through that stage for for quite interesting and i mean it was actually it's a really interesting show it's done extremely well where he gets a bunch of celebrities on and the quiz show isn't like there aren't points for it, but basically he like asks a question like, Hey, so, you know, in the year 1960, we had this invention. Do you know what what it was? Like he'll describe it and you know, what was this invention? Oh, it was this thing. And he goes into trivia about it. Right. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's part quiz show, part trivia show, part comedy show because of He's the, funny. Generally, well, yeah, and generally the actors and actresses are are comedy writers. Yeah. that he he gets on. So, I would recommend it. I think last time I saw it, I think it was on Hulu. Uh huh. But okay, it's also Hulu is really doing it for me lately. They yeah. are pulling through with a lot of good stuff. Right. It's been a minute <laughs> since been a I watched it. So just like <laughs> full I will, disclosure, I will it aware. may not be on there anymore, but. We'll see. Uh, it's it's good. So a bit of Fry and Laurie. Um, I will link to a sketch called Your Name, Sir, which, I mean, I I would describe it, but like honestly, it's just all good. I don't want to spoil any of it. Okay. No, I love going into <laughs> things blindly like that. I'm I'm in. Yeah. Um, and then there's the Carol Burnett show, which was also ah, yes. very like classic sketch comedy. I will link to the dentist sketch, which is probably the most uh, well known and the most famous sketch. Right. Famous? I said famous? The most famous. Yeah. <laughs> the most famous. Oh, Audrey. Sketch. I'm I'm leaving that in. <laughs> I'm tired. It deserves of- to be left in. I'm tired of editing out all of the stupid words that I've said. <laughs> I'm just leaving that one in. There's there's little bonus content for you listeners. For you listeners. <laughs> little behind the scenes. For some reason, I keep on ending my words in T. Yeah, that's okay. It's uh, a phase. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe one I'll grow out of. But yeah, the the dentist sketch is really good. It's about a brand new dentist who uh, has to do an emergency procedure on a patient that comes in 
and he keeps on poking himself with the anesthesia, so he keeps on losing the feeling in his, like, <laughs> limbs and his hands. Yeah. And it is very slapstick, but, like, everybody just keeps breaking right. during the sketch because it is so funny. And, you know, apparently that's kind of seen as kind of unprofessional. Um, I didn't realize that until I watched 30 Rock, but there are a lot of actors that, like... There are a lot of actors that like to break. Like, if you've ever seen Jimmy Fallon on any sketch he's ever been in. Oh, my gosh. He is always he? smirking. He is always trying to hold back a laugh. And I always think it's funny to watch because he just has so little control over that. I just think it's funny. But apparently, it's just kind of like some actors are kind of turn their nose up at that. They're like, I am I am my character through the end. Like, Yeah. And I can see both sides because, me let's too. be honest, if, especially for the live ones... If you're there and somebody is doing something really funny, yeah, like of course you're going to laugh, no matter how many times you rehearse it, right? You know, just like how no so. matter how many times I watch, you know, certain Monty Python sketches, just from the get go, I'm laughing and yeah. I'm giggling. Yeah. Uh, moving along chronologically, I want to actually talk for a little bit about the Muppet Show. Yay! Which is kind of like. Something that I don't think a lot of people take into consideration when you're talking about sketch comedy. Oh, I totally see it, though. But yeah, it's so important. And it actually, uh, a lot like Monty Python, ended up coming up with a few industry standards that were used for, I mean, ever since, mm -hmm. actually. <laughs> I say for quite a long time, but they've been used ever since. Um, while it was technically a variety show, it was more of a parody of one. Hmm. Which, I mean, it's done with the Muppets, right? Right. Like, of course it's going to be a parody of something, because it's silly. Yeah, it's just, they're ridiculous to look at. <laughs> right? But what it did was it actually incorporated a backstage look at the show, which sometimes made it so that it had an overarching theme to connect the sketches together. Yeah. And it's really important, because sometimes there would be sketches where... Like, something starts to go wrong because of something that happened backstage. Yeah. And it's funny to the audience because we're like, I've oh, no, consequences are being had. Yeah, and it's, like, new. It's just funny to see that behind-the-scenes, like, scramble to begin with. Right, yeah. And, you know, you've got poor Kermit that's just constantly at his wit's end. Yeah. But oh, he still manages to pull through every single episode. Right. And I think that it's... Kind of the spiritual predecessor to 30 Rock. Yeah. And that you've got, <laughs> you know, like Tina Fey's character is very much Kermit. And she is. Oh my gosh. <laughs> she totally is. I'm actually, I'm going to talk a little bit about 30 Rock. So I don't want to get into you it. Would. Yeah, too much right now. Okay. Well, we will visit that. Just, you know, little taste of what's to come. Oh my. Uh, it had. What was really important, it actually had recurring bits, such as Pigs in Space and Muppet News Flash, which was really important to the format because we see in Saturday Night Live, there's sketches like The Weekend Update and, you know, other recurring sketches like that. Yeah. And before I get people who are like, um, well, actually on this, The Muppet Show did come out one year before Saturday Night Live. So, yeah. I'm going to credit The Muppet Show with a lot of these things. Yay! 
It deserves it. It also had a cold open, which up to that point wasn't really consistently used in sketch comedy shows. It was usually used in dramas and occasionally sitcoms. And Monty Python really only toyed around with the idea. Their show didn't really have a consistent format where it would be like, cold open and then the introduction and then get into the other sketches like they had a whole show once where it was you know quote a cold open and then they did the opening credits at the very end (laughs) like you know okay guys i get it you think you're so clever yeah i do actually like them yeah i think come on guys (laughs) they're just messing with you yeah pushing the boundaries if you will yeah but uh no, the Muppet Show actually very consistently had a cold open, which we see in a lot of sketch comedy shows now. Uh-huh. I recommend it. Um, I mean, it's. I don't think it's too difficult to get a hold of, like just YouTubing it. Right. And even if you can't YouTube it, I, I'm pretty sure you can like buy the DVDs for, I don't know, beans. beans. They're pretty cheap. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then the other um, industry standard is they had a celebrity guest star in every episode as well, which was really important because if they had like a musician be a guest star, they would have the musician perform one of their songs. Mm-hmm. And if they had an actor, then they would ask the actor to do generally something kind of silly because they're the Muppets. Yeah. And if you can't be silly with the Muppets, then why I, are you there? I don't know. Why? Yeah. Why? I mean, I look at some of those old episodes and the guest stars always look like they are having the time of their life. I'm sure they are. Yeah. Like, I just, I am so jealous of anybody that has gotten to work with Muppets. Mm-hmm. Honestly, every single Muppet movie, every single Muppet show, it just looks like the human actors are like, so, so happy to be yeah. there. <laughs> oh, man, I think it would be so much fun to do that. Yeah. Um, if you had to do a sketch with one particular Muppet, who would you oh, choose? Oh, um, the eagle, the really grumpy eagle. Oh, Sam the eagle. Yeah, he is so <laughs> weird. I would just, oh my gosh, I would just not be able to stop laughing at him and he wouldn't be able to change his face at all because he's a Muppet. He'd look very disapprovingly <laughs> at me most of the time. <laughs> oh, that is such a good answer. I love Sam the eagle. And yeah. um, Beaker. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think everyone just loves Beaker. Just Beaker or Bunsen and Beaker? Um, both is fine, but if I had... Yeah, I mean, I prefer Beaker over Bunsen, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I think I would choose Gonzo, but only if we could also have some chickens oh, on yes. the stage as well. Which I know is not difficult to do with Gonzo, but uh, I definitely... I need that package deal. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mentioned Saturday Night Live which has been running since 1975, which makes it one of the longest-running television shows ever. Wow. Yeah. Go them. I know, right? It's won 64 Primetime Emmy Awards, so no matter how you feel about it, it's It's awesome. to deny that, yeah, it's made a huge cultural impact. It does a lot of things really well, so even if you're not a huge fan, which... I don't regularly watch it. Me neither, um, not anymore. I actually, yeah, I don't, I actually don't know if I've even seen, like, a full episode. I usually just watch, like, the best, best of, yeah, sketches. 
but uh, we do need to talk about a lot of the formats that have worked for it. Oh, yes. So much like The Muppet Show, they have a lot of recurring bits. I mentioned the weekend update. They also do satire really well. Yes. Much like Monty Python. And to pull a couple of the more well-known sketches, uh, the more cowbell sketch is really good. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I know. And it's another one that you just kind of like want to rub your temples and you're like, no, not more of this. No, but before it was overplayed, it was like, it's, it it was really good. Like it stood out for a reason. It, It really did. And Obviously, you've got, like, the fake members of the Blue Oyster Cult in the background that are like, what is going on? And you've got Christopher Walken as a music producer. The weirdest guy you could possibly cast. (laughs) I think he's the weirdest guy you could possibly cast for just about anything. Right? Right. Yeah, I agree. I do love him, too. But he jumps in and he goes, I need more cowbell. And then you have Will Ferrell with his too small sweater, with his like <laughs> gut hanging out, and he's just going for that cowbell. And I know I'm kind of explaining the joke here, but obviously you've got this idea of like what what do music producers think half of the time? Yeah, because they're the ones that are making a lot of calls. I mean, as much as it is up to the band to come up with the creative side of things, mm-hmm. it still is the producer's responsibility to go this is what's going to sell. You know, so maybe you need to, like, drop this sound or you need to include this sound. And I've heard, like, a few songs, um, like, released saying, like, hey, this is our pre-production version and then, like, we got a producer after we made this song Mm -hmm. and obviously it sounds a whole lot better. And I'm like, yeah, it does sound a whole lot better. Yeah. (laughs) This is not making it sound better. (laughs) No. Not more cowbell. Cowbell is great in, like, salsa songs. Oh, yeah. It's a very limited genre, I think, too. Yes. <laughs> not not in Blue Oyster And, you know, Cult, he's probably though. just pushing it just because he, he, you know, he does have the power to and can't really let go of an idea once it just, like, launches itself, even if it's clearly ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another sketch that does satire really well is Chris Farley's a motivational speaker named Matt Foley. If you've never seen it, again, I'm going to link to this in the show notes. But he he plays a motivational speaker that's been asked by a couple of parents to talk to their kids. Mm -hmm. And generally, when you think of motivational speakers, like, you know, they, they tell their story of these were the struggles that I had in my life. Mm -hmm. And this is how I overcame them. yeah. Yeah. This guy has not yet overcome the struggles that he's had in his life. Yeah. And so his motivational speaking is more along the lines of, my life is in ruins. If you don't shape up, you're going to end up like me. Yeah. Which and could it, work, you know, that maybe that does the trick. <laughs> yeah. But uh, David Spade was actually a little baby at this time. Little Spade, little Spade. Uh, yeah. It was uh, 1993 when this sketch aired, and you can see him breaking because at a certain point, like, you can only have Chris Farley yelling, in a van down by the river, so many times before it's just like, it's too much. (laughs) More recently, we've got Black Jeopardy, 
And I think that pretty much every single Black Jeopardy sketch is really, really good. Mm -hmm. Because it's not only a commentary on Black culture, but it's also a commentary on the way that white people interact with Black culture. Mm -hmm. Um, Elizabeth Banks guest stars in an episode where, you know, she's... She's not racist because she has a black boyfriend. Oh, of course. And she gets all of her Jeopardy answers wrong, even though she's like, oh, no, I know this one. Yeah. They're like, nah, (laughs) you don't. (laughs) And in kind of a satire of the satire, there's a particularly good one where Tom Hanks plays a Trump supporter Mm-hmm. Like, wears a MAGA hat and everything. Oh, no. And he's kind of like, you know, mid-Southwestern white trash. Yeah. And he actually gets all of the Black Jeopardy answers right. Because as it turns out, like, poor white people and Black people have the same experiences. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, all of these Black people are like really super impressed yeah and the host comes up to him and he's like man you're the best white contestant that we've ever had and he holds out his hand for tom hanks to shake and tom hanks actually kind of like flinches a little bit and it's just so masterful before like he's like okay i guess i can shake hands with this black guy it's so so good yeah it's so it's very telling (laughs) (laughs) yes yes I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that it does try to do absurdism, and I think this this is actually kind of the weakest sort of subgenre of sketch comedy mm-hmm. that Saturday Night Live does. Um, I, I don't know. A lot of people really liked David S. Pumpkins when that sketch came out, and I just don't get, don't get it. it. Yeah, I don't. Just looking at it, I don't really either. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd say give it a watch because, I don't know, maybe you will get it. Then you can explain but it to I us. I sure don't. <laughs> yeah. If somebody could explain it to me, I would really appreciate it. And it has to be a, an explanation that's not just, well, it's Tom Hanks and he's so charming. No. Yeah. You you know, you got to explain more than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is worth mentioning that the show is produced by Lorne Michaels. Yes. He uh, founded it all the way back in 1975. He also produced a Canadian sketch show called The Kids in the Hall. Hmm. It's super great, and I actually like it a lot better than Saturday Night Live, mostly because it does the absurdism a little bit better than SNL does. That's fair. It has a lot of the same, again, the same formats and the same conventions that are pretty much standard for sketch comedy at this point, Mm -hmm. where there's recurring characters and there's usually, like, sketches that recur throughout episodes that kind of, you know, build up to a really good payoff at the end. Right. But yeah, like I said, it's got a lot more absurdism to it than Saturday Night Live does. Unfortunately, it did not last very long, but they are easy to find online. So uh, I will be linking. Oh, excellent. Good. Yeah. (laughs) Totally good. Uh, We'll enter the 90s with that, because The Kids in the Hall did start in the very, very late 80s. And this was kind of where sketch comedy really picked up and followed through up until now. 
So if you want to talk about any of these, I'm just going to kind of list them off. Mm -hmm. But there was In Living Color, which is actually where Jim Carrey got started. I've heard that a lot. I've Mm -hmm. heard, yeah, I've heard that I should check it out. I never have. Yeah. Yeah, Jim Carrey started there. So did Jamie Foxx. Some of these sketches are a little offensive. Yeah, that's okay. But, you know, I think that every sketch comedy show has its offensive moments. Sure. Uh, There's The Chappelle Show, which uh, did end and has now been rebooted and has an absolutely brilliant sketch that just made me laugh so hard um, called The Race Draft, kind of like a sports draft, but all of the delegates from different races get together And they draft different people. Oh, great. <laughs> so it starts with the uh, black delegates. They they got the poll to de- take the first pick. And they choose Tiger Woods, oh. who uh, was, of course, born half black, half white. But since the black delegation has chosen him, he is now 100% black. <laughs> <laughs> and this is kind of how the race draft works. Yeah. Um, the payoff for that particular sketch is really, really good. Interesting. So I will for sure be linking to that. Uh, Key and Peele oh. obviously has a, a lot of really good stuff going for them. Oh, yes. There's a show called Little Britain, which is very much kind of the spiritual successor to uh, a lot of the early British sketch comedy shows. Uh, Portlandia, which... <laughs> Man, I have to admit, I never could fully get into it. I can't watch. I can't watch a lot of it at once. It gets yeah. really old after a while. But it's really good for about two or three episodes. Oh yeah, you just can't yeah, quite binge sure. it. Yeah, not not bingeable, but still funny. Yeah, I do want to mention all that as like the kid friendly version of Saturday Night Live. You know what's funny is my mom wouldn't let me watch all that. She thought really? it was, yeah, that, um, Amanda show and Keenan and Kel, she thought were disrespectful to adults. She's always just like, they're always just portraying adults to be like idiotic. And I'm like, but it's a kid show. Of course they are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't take it personally. Why wouldn't they? Yeah, I know. Anyway, so I'm not super familiar with those unless I snuck and watched them when my mom wasn't home. But I always felt, I always felt like they were awesome when I did get a chance to watch them just because they were forbidden, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, also, I do want to mention all that because I believe that Keenan Thompson was on that show. Yeah, he was. And now that he is on Saturday Night Live, I think that makes him like like the longest running sketch comedy artist. Oh, yeah. He hops around. He's um, I feel like he's probably sought after too, especially someone who's been in it for that long. They they have ideas and they have experience and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He's been on Saturday Night Live since 03. Wow. Which, holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, most comedians generally get offers for like movies and their own TV shows. I don't know if he just hasn't gotten it or if he's just like, no, nah, I'm, I'm enjoying doing, this. Yeah. yeah. Good for him. Uh, locally. We have a show called Studio C, which is done by BYU students. Yes. And, I mean, a lot of them are kind of hokey and campy, but there are a couple of really good sketches that they've done. Indeed. That, like, 
The volleyball see, one. Oh my gosh. I knew you were going to bring up that one. I love that one so much. I know. That, I mean, that goes on my list of like, hey, I can feel an anxiety attack coming up. What can I do to make myself feel better? Exactly. And I will generally watch Scott Sterling block all of these volleyball spikes with his face. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> It's so funny, and, like, it takes a second to realize what's going on, which I think is, like, the beauty of it. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, it's a volleyball game. And then you realize, when they do the uh, instant replay, (laughs) that, oh, Scott Sterling blocked that with his face. Yeah. It's excellent. It is excellent. Yeah. Uh, Now on to 30 Rock, which... Yay! (laughs) I know. This is... I, I have to be really restrained with this because I'm again you talk about it for a long time. Um, I'm really afraid that this is going to turn into a Thirty Rock, right? Fan cast. It's I so mean, good. like it wouldn't be the worst thing, but I understand. Yes. You don't want that. Yeah. It's also produced by Lauren Michaels and stars Saturday Night Live alum Tina Fey. So it's really no surprise that the setting of it is you know, a sketch comedy show. And granted, it's all of the behind the scenes. I don't think we ever see a full sketch played out on that show. Where like more of this, more of the comedy is happening off. Like it's, it's just a, yeah, I don't know what I'm trying Mm -hmm. to say. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's, it's taking place off stage and it's taking place behind the scenes, but in a way it is sketch comedy unto itself. Mm hmm. Because while each episode has an ongoing plot, there are oftentimes secondary and tertiary plots going on. And while this concept wasn't new and unique to 30 Rock, it did it in a way that turned each episode into a series of interconnected sketches. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to kind of lay this out for you and for our audiences. Okay. A lot of the standard episodes go like this. Liz Lemon goes to Jack Donaghy with a problem. He is dealing with his own plot, so he tells her what to do, which moves her from interacting with Donaghy to interacting with the writers. Donaghy is no longer present, either on or off the screen, because when Lemon enters the writer's room, there's a separate problem going on. She tries to solve that problem. Donaghy follows up with her while she's in the middle of solving the writer's problem, and now we're back to Donaghy's problem. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile... Kenneth is interacting with Jenna Maroney because she has a problem, too. If she doesn't directly name Tracy Jordan as the problem... It's almost always, yeah. Yeah, he usually figures out that he's the source of her problems. So Kenneth goes to Jordan, only to find out that Jordan has a problem of his own. Maroney is also now no longer in the scene, as a new plot has started. Yeah. So, like, do you see where I'm going with this? (laughs) The show's plot... Ultimately, doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. It's just shenanigans. It is. It's it's about funny characters interacting with each other and, like, reacting to their predicaments or to their environments. Also, it is a behind-the-scenes show about a sketch comedy show. And, as I mentioned before, if that doesn't pull directly from The Muppet Show, I will... Continue to eat this proverbial hat that I started in on at the, the very beginning hat, of the episode. The literal hat, you mean the one that I'm? Yeah, you, I'll, I'll make you do okay. it. If anyone can prove it otherwise, you're eating a hat, Audrey. Ah, oh, dang it! <laughs> you built your grave. I really have dug your grave. Will you make it a pretty hat? Yeah, I'll make it very stylish. 
Cool. With a feather? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> okay. Don't... Please, no beads, though. No beads. You don't want <laughs> Why would no. you rather eat a feather than a bead? That's... Beads are crunchy. I know, but feathers are animal things. <laughs> I eat ice cream. That's an animal thing. I know, but feather is an inedible animal thing. It's a very fine line. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. I don't say so. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, at this point, I do want to mention that there's a great book called Everything Bad is Good for You by Stephen Johnson. <laughs> and it argues that media today is actually making audiences smarter. Hmm. And I think that 30 Rock is a pretty good example of that. Oh, yeah. If you look at sitcoms in the 60s, 70s, you know, 80s, 90s, they rarely had a secondary plot. Or if they did, it was mentioned like at the very beginning of the episode and then at the very end of the episode. Mm-hmm. But the bulk of the episode was focusing mostly just on the main character. Audiences weren't really expected to keep up with multiple storylines, but in the early 2000s, we saw shows. Um, and I think that this particularly started with medical dramas where you would have like a really big cast oh, yeah. of like different doctors. Um, but it made audiences care about more than what was going on in the main character's life. Yeah. Um, and we also saw, and I mean, this is kind of sort of related. We also saw the uh, disappearance of the laugh track as well, mm-hmm. which I think was also kind of important to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Arrested Development comes to mind where oh gosh. I think that that's a really good early example of a show that got rid of the laugh track and also had multiple storylines going on. Yeah. But it, it, I don't know. I feel like it's a really good thing because it, it makes audiences care about the world as a whole. Like it doesn't feel like sitcoms where everything feels so limited to like the one house Mm -hmm. that this family lives in. It's it's a much bigger world, and it's so it's much more immersive, and it's a whole lot easier to care about it. Totally. And, you know, look at where we are now with shows like Game of Thrones. Oh, yes. Where there are so many characters that have their own storylines that, I mean, to be honest, I am amazed that anybody keeps up with it. We're actually rewatching that for like the fifth time, and I'm I'm one of those obsessed, like I just freaking love that show so much. <laughs> it's worth it. It's it's yeah. Anyway, I won't get into that right now. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Although I do have a question. What? Uh, at the notorious rate that characters die, how many storylines can there possibly be by the end of the series? Oh, as fast as they kill off characters, they reintroduce them. I mean, that's not necessarily true, but there's always someone There's always someone to replace, you know, your interest. Most of the time, I guess. There are some irreplaceable characters, but... It's, uh, it just, yeah, it just takes some obsessive um, qualities about yourself, you know, that I happen to have. Oh, well, that sounds really fun. Yeah. You're just selling me on it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So going back to 30 Rock, um, I feel like it did a really good job of kind of setting up a format that we're seeing more and more. I want to mention show... Shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, you love Um, that show. I love that show so much. 
And this show, I feel like it has its primary, secondary, and tertiary plots a little bit more separated Mm -hmm. than in 30 Rock. I think 30 Rock, like, everything just had so much crossover that it felt like it was the same. Sure. Like, single plot, even though it wasn't. But in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, if you were to separate the tertiary plot from the rest of the show and, like, cut it out and run it uninterrupted... It would be its own cohesive narration, Mm -hmm. and it would probably be a really great standalone sketch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so there's, like, one episode in particular that I'm thinking of where the character Rosa Diaz is asked to help Scully and Hitchcock with filing some paperwork. Mm -hmm. And if you've never watched the show, which I don't think you have yet, have you? I have not, no. No. So Rosa Diaz is, like, this really fit, tough-as-nails detective, And Scully and Hitchcock are the older, out-of-shape, disgusting yin to her yang. Okay. And she is shocked and disgusted that they just don't get out of their rolling chairs to file this paperwork. (laughs) If they need to take paperwork from their table and put it in a box on another table, they just push themselves from one table to the other. And they insist that it's a lot harder than it looks. Yeah. So they challenge her to not get out of her chair for the day, and she accepts. And at the end, she realizes how difficult it is to stay in the chair, (laughs) and she finds a newfound respect for them. Good lord. That's just, (laughs) it's so ridiculous. It is very absurd, and... I mean, obviously, at the end, she is a somewhat rational human being, and she vows to never do it again. Thank goodness. And... Also, it has nothing to do with the primary plot. Like, it's literally just, these are other characters that we're not focusing on, but they still exist, so we're going to throw them into this absurd situation. Right. And, I mean, that's kind of the point, you know? And, And I think that it makes a somewhat decent argument that a lot more comedy sitcoms are moving towards a, like, structured like, long-form sketch comedy Mm -hmm. format. Yeah, you're right. Like, where if you were to take any individual story out, it'd be a nice, like, five-minute little just standalone um, piece. Yeah. 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 And also, I think that they have the best cold opens of any show. Brooklyn Nine-Nine does? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you see the uh, Backstreet Boys lineup? No. That made the rounds? (laughs) No. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um... I will I will link to that. I'm not going to ruin it for you. Okay, that's it's, fair. You don't you don't have to know the characters. It's just a really great cold open. Mm-hmm. It's oh, it's so good. Yeah, so we were playing Cards Against Humanity last night with a few friends and I actually said the I said out loud like I wonder if when you know writers are come like comedics are kind of like dry on ideas if they just play around of Cards Against Humanity because so much of them sound like just the simple absurd ideas that people like especially like he and Pill will be able to put on for five minutes just like the Mm -hmm. most ridiculous situations and so I feel like um, Cards Against Humanity kind of reminds me of the same kind of like comedy they're going after just like the rolling in the chairs just because you can and it's not as easy as it looks kind of thing just sounds like it's just (laughs) so ridiculous and specific and non-consequential that it sounds like a Cards Against Humanity play. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it really does. Yeah. Oh, man. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's never mentioned ever again, like right. not in any single episode. And I think that Brooklyn Nine-Nine does a really good job of having that continuity there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when it comes to their tertiary plots, like <laughs> there's a tertiary plot where um, one of the characters accidentally destroys another character's sourdough starter that had been in the family for like decades but wait can you explain what a sourdough starter is for me like a bread thing yeah when you make sourdough bread you have to have a starter which is basically some flour and like a little bit of water and sugar and yeast that has been fermenting for a long time and generally, when you make sourdough, you want to keep it going. So after you put that starter in your regular dough, you take some of your regular dough and you put it back into generally like the jar. You want something yeah, that's so you pretty have it for next airtight. Time. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And it keeps fermenting. So thank you for yeah. educating me. <laughs> no, it's, it's all good. So yeah, I mean, it's gross enough that this sourdough starter had been in this family for decades. Yeah. Yeah, that's... But yeah, then then one of the characters destroys it by putting it in front of her space heater. Oh, great. <laughs> and again, no consequence whatsoever onto the main plot. Right. But, but these were characters... Yeah, they weren't getting enough screen time in that particular episode, so they got their own little sketch. That's so funny. It works, too. It kind of keeps your attention, the little short blurbs of each and every, you know, story. I think it's probably intentional, too, to keep to keep interest alive. Not too much of the same thing at once, you know? Now, I want to talk about YouTube. Because awesome. we had to get here eventually. Yeah. And not just YouTube, but also Vines, as I mentioned at the beginning. Oh, yes. I just... I just we love Vine. I love Vine so much. It is interesting to kind of see like how YouTube is affecting the way that sketch comedy is written. Because as I mentioned, that uh, Backstreet Boys lineup cold open from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, it was kind of making the rounds on social media. Uh-huh. It, was, it was just kind of isolated as like, and it was coming up on um, Sweeps Week and like, all of the renewal <laughs> stuff that right. was going on. And Brooklyn Nine-Nine is like constantly on the verge of getting canceled because it is an extremely progressive show that is shown on the Fox network. Ah. So, you know, everybody's always like, oh, is this going to be the year that it's canceled? And that particular co- cold open was shared as an example of why you should not cancel it. Yeah. Because it is so funny. But it also brings up, I think, a good point about how short form shareability has like shaped the way that sketch comedy is written now. Oh, totally. And I think we're seeing the death of the recurring joke because of that. Interesting. I I don't think that we could get away with sketches like the Spanish Inquisition anymore because part of what made Monty Python's Spanish Inquisition funny is that they would like burst in on other sketches right like and and after you know two or three times you're like oh my gosh this is so funny like they actually wrote a really good sketch to start out with and then they just throw the spanish inquisition there right (laughs) and 
because that doesn't really work for sharing that on the internet, I think that it's just not really going to happen anymore. You're right. People will maybe not keep watching, like, entire series or shows like um, like Monty Python or shows like that, but they might take the time to watch, like, a five-minute little comedy thing, which they don't really have the time to get context for if they needed it in the first place, you know? Right, yeah. And so I feel like a lot of shows are kind of gearing towards that. Um, again, like going back to Studio C and the Scott Sterling sketches, even though he is a recurring character, you still, like, you don't need the context to find those sketches funny, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I think Key and Peel also do a lot of really good standalone sketches. I think their most famous one is the, uh, black substitute teacher that keeps on mispronouncing the white students' names. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Again, like, you don't really need context for that. And it's not, it doesn't need to be recurring. Right. Uh, Funny or Die, Cracked, College Humor. Man, I I had a Cracked stage where I would just obsess over Cracked. Like, those listicles. I know listicles are horrible to look at sometimes, but for some reason, their listicles were so funny. Because they'd be like um user submitted right like they'd be like draw what you think is the funniest blah 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 blah." and oh my gosh i loved those so much yeah i i too went through a cracked stage and then i just kind of grew out of it because i realized that i was reading the same thing every single day exactly exactly (laughs) yikes but these are all internet specific like companies that thrive off of making those super shareable shorts. Yep. So honestly, anybody who hasn't had a video from one of those sites come across their feed, I kind of deserves, I know, I think they deserve a medal and also needs to be saved from the internet before it's too Before late. it corrupts them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of those companies do have a few really good gems. Yeah. But, um, most of their stuff is just really cringy. Yeah, for some reason, Jake and Amir caught my eye a lot, like, really, really early, too, when they started doing their own videos, and then they got picked up by College Humor. Um, that was another one that I got obsessed with. I just thought they were just, they had the funniest, like, friendship chemistry, and... Yeah, mm-hmm. and that was pretty much the only one of College Humor that stood out to me. I didn't really take the time with the rest, but I didn't have to because I had one that I really liked, you know, and they had so many other little characters that they would reuse and stuff, and it's useful for, like, to reach a lot of tastes, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though I feel like a lot of these companies have kind of, I don't know, overused the sketch comedy format for themselves. Yeah. I think it is still worth uh, mentioning that they are there because it does enable for that shareability of a lot of indie people to produce their own, you know, funny things. Um, I found a sketch by a dude. uh, His YouTube channel is called Tomska, Uh T-O-M-S-K-A. And he does a few things, but is pretty... Probably, I think, most well-known for his shorts, which you can only find on YouTube. Right. Ah, That's right. So I'm going to link to a particularly funny one called The Hole. 
and uh, it is British humor, so it has kind of that like fast-paced dialogue right. that is delivered, you know, dryly, by an extremely dry, yeah, <laughs> very dryly. But it is very absurd. Um, it's really interesting to see how Monty Python has really affected a yeah. lot of sketch comedy. That was very because I really, yeah, I. I just now wanted to be like, oh, it's very Monty Python-esque. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> of course it is. Vines. Vines. I want to talk about Vines. The shortest sketch comedy there is. This, and little it bite is. Size, little bite-sized sketch comedy. Yeah, and I I really, I, I can appreciate um, how it is, I think, kind of like, the logical outcome of sketch comedy online Mm -hmm. because like the whole point of sketch comedy is that it's supposed to be short, right? Right. Like we don't see hour long sketch comedy shows, Mm -hmm. not anymore anyway. And I think that that's because after kind of going back to Portlandia, like after a certain amount of time, you're just like, okay, I'm, (laughs) I can't really do this anymore. And Vine just kind of took that idea and went in the opposite direction. It was like, let's make it as short as possible. Yeah. What's, what's the shortest people, that we can do? Yeah, and it forced people to get really creative, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it creative to the point where I think it was just kind of like an art form. Yeah, <laughs> you know? like, what, what kind of stuff can you accurately portray through a Vine? Like, mm-hmm. you have to be, you have to be really clever about it. You have to be... Like, yeah. I think artistic, and, yeah. Yeah, and when people pulled it off, it was just, like, amazing. Yeah. So there's one that I think fits particularly well in the sketch comedy genre, where <laughs> a guy runs into a tree branch, he looks at it, like, super offended, and then he, like, takes off his shirt, and out of nowhere, his friends come in with boxing gloves and a mouth guard, <laughs> and he, like... <laughs> starts boxing this branch yeah i know which one you're talking about (laughs) like it's amazing that it fits in the space of six seconds because clearly like they probably did several takes on that to get it exactly oh yeah it has to be so perfectly timed Mm -hmm. well and like so practiced too because one of his friends puts in the mouth guard for him yeah and then he has two friends holding the boxing gloves and you have to be so fast about getting those things on yep you know and then you have like the other friend that's coming in and like calling the boxing match and it's It's just so fast it's just bite size it is and i think it took me like three times longer to describe that than it does to watch it but yeah, vines are hard to do that. I yeah. I honestly I find myself not so much remembering specific vines, but I remember specific viners. I do remember mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly what his name was, but he always did Disney pranks on his friends. And Thomas Sanders. Thomas Sanders was like one of the yes. most followed ones. I just think his were so they were so funny and easy to understand and clean and just mm-hmm. dopey. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I remember mm-hmm. I remember the hype of like wanting to be a Vine star myself. It lasted like a week and I made like, I made eight or 10 really, you know, trendy Vines that I'm sure would get people to laugh, but I just didn't have the followers, you know? Oh, I wanted to be Vine famous. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing that you weren't because Vine is dead. It's gone. It's gone forever. Gone. But they live on in Vine compilations, which 
I love fine compilations. Almost better so than much. vines. Yeah. Because you have it yeah. all to like you have it all in one place. All your favorites all in all in mm-hmm. one place. And I think I could like spend forty minutes just oh, watching yeah. Vine compilations. Me too. Absolutely <laughs> easily. So yeah. Yeah, I just man, I really wish that I could go into so many more vines, but it is it's just I hard to really, c- yeah. convey. It is. It's so hard to talk about them because it's like, it took me a minute and a half to describe this six second clip to you because there's just so much going on in these six seconds. But I mean, that's the beauty of it is that once you get it all scripted out, it just, it falls into place so well and it is so funny. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So that's uh, kind of my spiel on sketch comedy. I, I don't know what the future of sketch comedy is. Normally I have, like, guesses. Yeah, I think it's probably going to continue with the YouTube-esque trend for a while. Just short, little three or four minute bites of random, you know. But I think if I had it my way, it would be going the... It would be focusing on the Brooklyn Nine-Nine or the Arrested level where it's like... Let's just spread out five stories of silly people all into one episode where mm-hmm. it's still easily digestible, but you also kind of get some story and continuity continuity along with it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And those are obviously, like, scripted shows. They have, you know, ongoing, like, season-long plots. Uh, I don't know how much longer Saturday Night Live is going to last. Yeah, I, mean, I always be... think it's going to end within, like, the next year. I, and it never just doesn't does. seem like it has that audience anymore. It it doesn't, but like, it's just so old that it just has to stay there. <laughs> I think so. I think that's part of it. And also, I think that it's really important to the culture of, um, like kind of cultivating those comedy writers and actors, sure. because so many famous people have come from Saturday Night Live. Yeah, you know, obviously Tina Fey and like Kristen Wiig. And Will Ferrell and um, Adam Sandler and like totally Steve Martin. Yeah, like the list goes on and on and on. Andy Samberg, who I mean, I think that he's probably like the more a more recent example of somebody who started out on Saturday Night Live and now and he just is, is his own thing now. Yeah, he's he's the star of Brooklyn Nine Nine. You know, he just jumped from one funny sketch comedy show to a uh, more continuous <laughs> sketch comedy show. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited to see what else Kate McKinnon does, because I think oh, that yes. she's hilarious. She's the best. Yeah. Uh, so whenever she does retire from Saturday Night Live, I just, I am definitely going to be following her. Again, even though I don't watch much Saturday Night Live, like, I think that she is just really really good in everything that she does oh she's excellent yeah so i think i don't know i think saturday night live is more of an institution than it is like that's fair i like that oh yeah that's what i'll do i'm just gonna call it an institution it can't go away it just can't it's tenured (laughs) it's tenured in our pop culture really though it kind of does seem that way yeah and I don't know. I really, I do hope that we see more like YouTube and Vine stars end up doing bigger, 
like more well-funded projects. Mm-hmm. Like there's that hipster part of me that's like, no, I want you guys to stay pure and do the oh, things yeah. that we know you for. But there's also the part of me that's like, but I want you to be so successful. I know. I want you to do what you feel is like worthwhile, not just what. Right. I feel you. Yeah. So I think ultimately that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it. I mean, obviously I wanted to talk about fine, but I think it's really important for the future of comedy writing, just period, mm-hmm. <laughs> is to make sure that we, we have sketch comedy where people can exercise their creativity and absolutely, you know, develop that sense of humor that we just always need. People always need to laugh. They need the doofiness. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for joining me on this uh, adventure Always. through time and laughter. I've learned much. Yes. <laughs> yes. It also ended up being way longer than I thought it would. I just That's wanted right. to do a nice little in-between episode that was like 40 minutes because we just did the poetry episodes and those were kind of intense. And uh-huh. we've got like three or four episodes coming up that are also going to be really intense. And I was like, right. I'll talk about sketch comedy for like it's 40 a, minutes. It'll be a nice break for everyone, I yeah. believe. Yeah. It's still going to be an hour and a half of me listening to us again and editing. <laughs> I I think you're really good at it, though. <laughs> oh, Karen. Yeah. It took me a year to get here. <laughs> I still can't get birthday. over that it's been a year. I know. It's crazy. It's, it, it started out as a little plan hatched in the bakery, and it's yeah. been made real. Remember when we said we're starting a podcast and nobody believed us? Because they yes. were like, ha-ha. Yes. How, how charming of you two. To we we want to like, do that. Our first episode's been released, and people were like, What? <laughs> Like I told you, and I actually, I, I mostly remember laughing because people are, people were asking what it's about and it's like, well, it's pretty much just the conversations we have in at work. Yeah. You know, just about a little bit more structured and, and, you know, about one specific thing. Not right. And meandering made a little bit more professional and the, the goal's a little bit more clear through Audrey's, um, editing and school stuff. So <laughs> I'm glad it's still here. Me too. I'm going to be a little mushy for a second, but thank you for friendship. And thank you for friendship. For, for doing this with me. It's been Always. really fun. And I I have no idea how long we're going to keep it up. But no, I don't either. I, just as long as we can. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's what it's going to be is just until life gets too complicated for us right. to not do this. That's so. fair. Um, listeners... Thank you for joining us. Oh, We're going to do our normal spiel. You can find us on Twitter at Kittens and Kanye. And at Kitten Whiskers and Kanye on Instagram. And uh, I've kind of dropped linking a lot of things on Twitter um, for just linking them in the show notes. But I will mm-hmm. still, I think as the next couple of weeks go on and I need a break from uh, researching the next few topics. Right, that's fair. As I mentioned, it's, it's been, been exhausting. It's been really intense, but they're going to be really good episodes. Yes. Um, I will. I will link to some of those sketch comedies on on Twitter that maybe yes. I haven't mentioned, but that I still find really funny. I will keep an eye out. Um, I get your tweets sent directly to my phone. I hope you know that. <laughs> You've mentioned that, and it makes me happy every single time. 
I got to know. Yeah. What's going on? It also makes me really nervous because sometimes I immediately delete them and like redo them if I find a typo or if right. I just don't really like the way that I phrased them and I'm just like, oh, that's oh no, Carmen's going to see this twice and she's going to know how, oh, how awful embarrassing. I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah. Um, until next time, I'm Audrey Stratton. I'm Carmen Thorley. And this has been Kitten Whiskers and Kanye. Mm. I'm going to go eat some uh, cashew chicken. Ooh.